Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So this morning, saints, we continue on our series called DNA, Values We Live By. This series, basically, we're looking at the Every Nation Johannesburg uh, core values, our values that we really believe God has called us to live by. And these values, basically, it's a foundational kind of series where we are going back to who we are, explaining ourselves to who we are. We know that some of you may fairly be new at Every Nation, and you may have heard about these values at Discover Every Nation, but we want to go deep in the Word to understand what these values are all about. Today, I've got an awesome privilege on speaking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I hear amen to that? I know that every time we talk about Lordship, it's not an exciting sermon because it means that uh, Jesus is calling us to live at a high standard. That's the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I've got good news for you. His grace is deep enough to help us to live to that standard. So the standard is high, but His grace is deep enough to help us to live to that standard. And I'm going to give a very challenging question to all of us this morning. And I can tell you right away that after the service, there were some people who came to speak to me after the service, in the first service, who were really challenged by this question. So, are you ready? If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all in your life, he's not Lord at all. And I know that uh, this statement is causing attention because some people are wrestling with the fact that I'm still work in progress. I'm still trying to get some of the areas of my life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I want to say emphatically this morning that if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I'm saying this because some Christians have been Christians for 20 years and still struggling with the same sin and say, I'm work in progress. No. No. At some point, it must change if Jesus is Lord over your life. At some point, there must be deliverance if Jesus is Lord over your life. You cannot be struggling with the same sin year after year after year, going to Pastor Greg for counseling. No, at some point, you need to decide, is Jesus Lord overall or not Lord at all? You know, some Christians, they are church Christians. On Sunday, I'm a Christian. On Monday, I live my life the way I want to live it. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You know, let me preach to myself a little bit. If I'm a Christian here on Sunday at church, and then yesterday watching a rugby, I'm a different person. Something is wrong with that picture. Something is wrong with that picture. Let let me just give you this challenge. Do people around you know that you're a Christian? Oh, let's not go there. You know, it's one thing to say I'm a Christian on Sunday, and my family know that I'm a Christian, but... Do do your colleagues know that you're a Christian? Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Because one of the reasons maybe why you're not telling them you're not a Christian is because you know there's certain things that you do that are not in line with the title being called a Christian. 
So we talk about lordship. Lordship is, it's, 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 it will lead us to salvation. It will lead us to conviction. And it will lead us to repentance. And I know maybe one of the questions we're wrestling with is, uh, you know, why should I submit my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ? So before we go to our text this morning, I want to just uh, provoke you a little bit. Not that I've already, I haven't provoked you already, just a little bit more provocation. You know, the word Lord in Greek is kurios. If Dimitri is here, he will correct my pronunciation. Kurios means supreme over the universe. Supreme over the universe, supreme over all authority. Meaning that Jesus is supreme over everything that you can think of. Now, if Jesus is supreme over everything that you can, you can think of, why would you not want to make him Lord over your life? Let's just take one example. Did you know that the diameter of the sun is 1.4 million kilometers? I know you're still trying to figure that out, right? Diameter is like straight, right? Not around, straight, from point to point. Let's use the diameter of the earth. From east to west or from north to south, the diameter is only 13,000 kilometers. 13,000 kilometers, right? So 13,000 kilometers, you can compute. If you want to take a little earth and put it inside the sun, you're going to need over 100 earths to fit into the sun, to make up the sun. Now, think about it for a little bit. I'm rounding up, by the way. I know that some of you, you are in the service and you're Googling. You're Googling. You're Google, Google. You know, in the olden days, the pastors will preach and then people will go home to search the scriptures. In the days we are living in, while the pastor is preaching, people are Googling. They're like, I want to see pastor size. This is true. Okay, so. Unlike uh, Michael Hinton in the first service, Mike Hinton, he checks if our scripture references are right. Once an auditor, always an auditor. <laughs> I'm building up a point here. If the sun is 1.5 million, 1.4 million, I'm rounding up, okay, for the Mets people and the statisticians, is 1.39 <laughs> million kilometers. The earth, not radius, earth diameter is, is 12,745 kilometers, right? Now, that's just the beginning. Now, the, the sun itself emits 44 quadrillion watts. Can you make sense of that? 44 quadrillion watts. Okay, I'm also still trying to comprehend this. You know, like, I want you to walk away out of here and say, why would I not make him Lord over my life? So if God was to experience load shedding for one hour, just one hour, and then he puts out the tender, our national uh, power generation won't get that tender, I'm sure about that. <laughs> to try and run the sun, to try and run the sun, you're going to need 44 million power stations running at 1 billion watts. Let's go home. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about that. I was like, my goodness, I'm stressing. I'm worrying about load shedding. My God, he's got all the electricity we need for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. So if you want to give up over South Africa, go for it. I'm still believing our God will provide for us. I'm still believing. 
that our God will provide for us. Just for the sake of those who are going to Google, you can Google James Webb Telescope. All this uh, information I've been giving you, James Webb Telescope, if you go to YouTube, you'll even see the images. I don't have time to show you all the images of this bigness of our God. They've just discovered another star that is 27 times the size of the sun. Wow! 27 times the size of the stars. Okay, let's read the Bible. Acts chapter 2. Wow! I just can't get enough of that. The God that we serve, He's so amazing, He's so big, and yet I'm worried about load shedding. Lord, help me. Not that we shouldn't worry, it must change. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost because they've just seen these people who have not been, uh, 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 who have just received the power of the Holy Spirit and they are speaking in different languages, in different tongues. And then Peter uh, sees the opportunity now that the Holy Spirit has come to preach the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, 3,000 people come to know the Lord. Now, what I'm about to read for you, a lengthy portion of Scripture, it is because Dr. Pelham Lessing says that the Scripture is at its purest when it is read. The Bible is at its purest when it's read. So I'm going to read for you an account of the gospel where we hear Peter preaching the gospel about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And some homework, if you go and read Acts chapter 2, you notice how many times Peter speaks about Jesus as Lord. Let's read here. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Listen to what I'm saying. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. They wouldn't be drunk. Not in South Africa. (laughs) Just thought I should mention that. But this is what was uttered to the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. And then he takes us back to the Old Testament. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. Even my male servants and my female servants. It's in the Bible. Can I hear amen to that? Not only on Women's Month and my female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes... The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you read this portion of scripture, for me, I don't know about you, I do believe that we are living in the last days. If you're not really sure, go and read Matthew 24. You can see the things that I've spoken about in Matthew 24 are happening today. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and earthquakes, all these things that are happening, complicated wickedness. It is showing that we're living in the last days. And how I also know that we're living in the last days is because as a young man, I'm seeing visions. (laughs) Just for the records. I don't know about you, Greg. Lerako, I don't know about you. Pastor Webb, I don't know about you. I'm seeing visions. 
He's dreaming dreams. He's the old man. God bless you. Bernard, dreams, visions. Okay, let me check. Who are the other older people in the room? I'm seeing visions. I'm dreaming dreams. Therefore, I'm a young adult. It's the last days. This last week, we had a prophetic word. Lindsay Palmer gave us such an encouraging prophetic word about to give us perspective of what's happening in our nation. While we're fasting and praying, this prophetic word was saying, you are facing the lion, you're facing the bear, and you're facing the giant. The lion and the bear are personal struggles we have to overcome, like we were doing in worship. And when you have overcome personal challenges, you'll be able to take the giants in the nation. How's that? We will be able to take the giants in the nation, but we need to overcome those personal challenges. Visions, dreams. Lastly, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So without taking too much time on this, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe with your heart that Christ is, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So when people get saved, they need to confess Jesus to be Lord. If you are saying you're a Christian, you need to first start by saying Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is not Lord overall, he's not Lord at all. So we need to start there. If you say, I want to live for Jesus, I'm going to call him Lord over my life. Confess, and then my heart must also follow the confession of my faith. So basically when I say Jesus is Lord, it's an outward expression of an inward condition. It means that inside here I'm burning with a passion for Jesus Christ. I'm sick and tired of Christians who are Christians only on Saturday and Sunday. And on Monday, they live a completely different life. It must be coming here. The inward condition speaks of our outward confession. We cannot just be Christians here, but our lives say something different. Why is it that in South Africa, we have 79% Christians? People claim to be 79%. People say they're Christians. But when you look at the state of the nation, something is wrong with that picture. Something is wrong with that picture. Don't call yourself a Christian if your life is not reflecting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't call yourself a Christian. Because Lordship will lead to conviction. If you say he's Lord, you will be convicted. Peter continues, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's been exalted, he's Lord, his supreme authority over all the universe. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, I love how the triune God is working together in this portion of Scripture. Look at the triune God. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out to this yourselves, seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, that's a deep verse right there. The Lord says to my Lord, it doesn't make sense, but we'll make sense of it just now. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, the triune God operating together, Trinity working together. If you ever wondered, 
this Christianity that we believe in, how it's so different to other religions. We believe in the triune God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery because you know how you cannot separate them like water, liquid gas, and solid. All three together. God working together. But I want to show you something profound because I feel like it preaches. The Lord said to my Lord. I was wondering why it means God the Father saying to God the Son. The Lord says to my Lord. Remember the person who said this is David. He's in the Old Testament and he gets a vision of what is to happen. The Lord says to my Lord. God the Father says to God the Son, I'm calling you Lord. The mutual honor that is in the triune God is profound. The mutual honor. God is trying to show us something there. The mutual honor between the Father and the Son. Remember what Pastor Lerico preached about recently. When we disciple people, we disciple them to bring them to our level even higher. They become partners. So God is teaching us mutual honor. In this church, we believe in honoring God and honoring one another. I was thinking about this portion of scripture that imagine how would the world be if we started honoring each other the same as the Lord saying to my Lord, let's honor each other. How would our world be if our politicians started honoring each other and calling each other Lord to my Lord, not just in parliament, but even outside parliament. Imagine in the boardroom when people start honoring each other like this, not dog eat dog world. Not I push others down to get up. See, the Lordship of Jesus Christ challenges us as Christians to teach them in the boardroom how it ought to be. We need to teach them this mutual honor. The Lord says to my Lord, there's so much in there. If I use different words in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, saying to Kurios, you're my Lord. Come and sit right next to me. Let's work together. It is what I'm believing for, for our nation. I'm believing that we will overcome this poverty mentality. I'm believing that we'll overcome this mindset of, I just want to get as much as I can for myself. But imagine if we say there's enough for all of us. There's enough for all of us. Lordship leads to conviction so that we can be able to honor one another. But then he continues to say, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain for certain that the God made him both Lord and Christ, his Lord and Messiah, his Lord and Savior. He made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when he said this Jesus whom you crucified, the people that were there, not all of them were there at the crucifixion. So it means that somewhat spiritually, they were also there crucifying Jesus. We also were there crucifying Jesus. We were there when he was crucified. Why am I saying this? You know that when Jesus in Matthew 26 was about to go to the cross, he prayed a prayer three times and he said, Lord, let this cup be removed from me. Let this cup be taken away from me. So I brought my coffee cup. That's the best I could get in the house because we don't have a chalice proper uh, communion cup. By the way, just for the record, this coffee cup is only two cups. Two cups. But some people are going to say, Pastor Sai, that's too much for coffee. I want you to remember this cup. 
Jesus, when he said, Father, take this cup from me. Three times he prayed. And he would go back to Peter, James, and John, and they'll be sleeping. The church of God is sleeping when something big is about to happen. We are sleeping when we're supposed to be praying for our nation. We are sleeping when God wants to show himself as a mighty God. We are sleeping. I like the fact that Jesus did not call Peter, he did not call James and John. He called Peter because Peter is supposed to lead them. He says, Peter, why are you sleeping? Because you're sleeping, the church is sleeping. The followers are sleeping. We need to wake up because something big is about to happen. He said the cup. Why did Jesus say the cup? Lord, take the cup. The cup in the Old Testament, Psalm 75 verse 8. You can Google it. Psalm 75 verse 8. The Bible says the cup of God's wrath is full because of all the wickedness that's in the earth. The cup of God's wrath is full. It's been stirred up and God is about to pour it over the nations. The cup that Jesus was praying about in Matthew 26, he knew that there's a cup of God's wrath that's about to be poured out and God was going to pour it all over Jesus Christ. Your sin and my sin were in that cup that Jesus had to take. Your sin and my sin were in this cup. Maybe you're wondering, Pastor Sai, where did you get that from? Go read Isaiah 53. It says it pleased God to crush him. It pleased God to lay on him the iniquity of us all. It was my sin that put him on the cross. So, you know, something must change saints in the way that we take communion. When Jesus was talking about the cup, Lord, take this cup away from me. When he said, take this cup away, it was he knew the pain, the agony that was going to come with the wrath of God. Now with that in mind, I want us to change in the way that we take communion. When we take communion, we must remember that the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured on you and I, Jesus, the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured on us was taken away. You know, Greg was singing the new covenant, new covenant renewed. It's because when we approach communion, we should come with that reverence. The Bible says, examine yourself. I pray that we understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we understand what happened on the cross, we will not do communion as a tick box. We'll approach communion table with a reverence. Because this cup was supposed to be the wrath of God to destroy you and I. But Jesus took the cup and he says, I will give you the cup of the new covenant. So at the end of the service today, I'm going to give an opportunity to people who want to rededicate their lives to Jesus. Examine yourself and say, there are areas of my life I need to bring before the Lordship of Jesus. And let him give you breakthrough from those sins that you've been carrying. We cannot have communion and go back to the life of sin. We have to have communion and our lives must change. The Lordship of Jesus Christ leads us to conviction. Look at this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They heard that you've crucified Jesus. You've crucified him. They were cut to the heart. 
In fact, the, the, the part about crucifixion, I've only covered 10% of it. Because when you read what Paul writes, Galatians 2.20 says, we've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. Not only did we crucify him, we were also crucified. Homework. Now, when they had this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This takes us to the question that, what should our response be to the message of the cross? When we have heard this, like these people, they said, what shall we do? What, what should our response be to the message of the cross? Being cut to the heart is like when you cut an apple or when you cut something, it can never be replaced to its original form. When you are cut by the word of God, you cannot go back to where you used to live. If today the word of God is cutting you right now, you cannot go back to your lifestyle. Because when the word of God cuts us, that word it means to be pierced. That word comes in like the Bible says, the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts, it divides even to the bone and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God must do that to us every Sunday, every connect group, every time we read the word. It must cut us. We cannot go back to the original form, even if you were trying to use super glue. Just side note. Can never go back to the original form. So conviction must lead to action. You cannot be convicted by the word and just continue to live your life the way you've lived it. When they said, brothers, what must we do? Paul says, Lordship, Peter says, Lordship leads to repentance and baptism. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because you crucified him. It was your sins that placed him on the cross. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. That is us. Those who are far off will be called by the Lord because we were there crucifying Christ. And with many other words, I love this, with many other words, he was taking pains, pains with many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation, this wicked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. As we begin to close, there's a couple of words that we see in the scripture that I believe they help us understand what our response should be to Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, the word repentance, it simply means you've been walking this way and you're turning 180 degrees. You're no longer walking that way. You're not following Jesus Christ. So, just to be clear, I didn't say 360 degrees. Uh, all the Mets majors, I know that you're happy you came to church today. Because if I said 360 degrees, you'll be going back to where you were going. 360 is going back. I'm saying 180 degrees. You are going opposite to where you're going. That's Christianity. Christianity is you're not going the same way that you used to go with your friends doing things that you used to do. You have turned. You have changed. You are now living a different life. That's Christianity. Otherwise, don't call yourself a Christian. Okay, let's make it a little bit lighter. 
the other word for repentance is taken from what we know as a penthouse, right? Penthouse at the top, beautiful. There's a couple in the church, they've got a penthouse uh, in Rosebank. Every time we go there, we get this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful view of Johannesburg. Beautiful. It reminds me all the time that when we repent of our sins, we have a different perspective of life. We have such a beautiful perspective of life. It's so beautiful. It's like when it's New Year's Eve, they don't have to buy fireworks. They see all the fireworks in the city. They just enjoy the view of everything. You know, I was pondering about that and I'm, I'm observing my son who's recommitted his life to the Lord and I'll leave him to share his testimony at some point. He, his perspective of life has changed so much that yesterday, me, I'm coming back from the stadium to watch uh, Springbok beating Argentina. They could have done a better job. They could have annihilated them. They could have destroyed them. There could have been so many tries in that game because I was at the stadium. You know, they should have just done something profound. You know, there was, the game was amazing. The fellowship was good. We invited people to church. There was revival in that box. I'm excited. I come back home. To, I, sh- I want to show my son the pictures and the photos of this amazing experience I had at the stadium. And then he says to me, Dad, you're disturbing me. I'm spending time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I have no time to listen to your rugby. I'm spending time with Jesus. He had his volume up. He was worshiping God. This is like a 10 at night. I'm like, dude, something has happened here. Something has happened to my son. The salvation thing is real. He has changed. He's transformed. And we're happy to send him off to Egypt tomorrow. Hallelujah. He's going on a school tour. I'm only mentioning this because I noticed that the rugby game was amazing. But when you meet with Jesus, when you meet with Jesus, when you meet with Jesus, nothing compares. Nothing compares. Nothing compares, nothing compares with Jesus. What is our response to the message of the cross? What is our response to the fact that he took the wrath for us? What is our response to the fact that we were supposed to be destroyed? What is our response to the fact that he prayed three times, Lord, take this cup away from me? What is our response to the fact that he says, in this world, you'll have many troubles. Take heart, be of good courage. I have overcome. What should our response be? What should our response be? You know, growing up as a Christian, we had this armbands. They were written, what would Jesus do? Those armbands were very helpful. Young people, you may not know about them. When you're wearing that armband, it, challenge you, it challenges you every day. Every day, how are you living to please him? Are you living to the standard of how Jesus would treat people? I've been convicted this week, just preparing this word. How am I treating my wife? 
How am I treating my Jesus? Am I, my, my, my children, am I treating them the way that Jesus would treat them? That's lordship. How are you treating your colleagues? How are you treating those that report to you? How are you treating your relationships? Is Jesus Lord over your finances? Is Jesus Lord of everything? Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I don't want to go into all the scriptures, but I just want to remind you. The Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, in heaven and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is. The Bible speaks of the preeminence of Christ. Can you read the scripture at the beginning of the service? I like the fact that the Bible says, in him all things hold together. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You've received not only a Savior, but as Lord. So we're going to end the service very differently today. We're going to go into groups of three or four, not more than that, preferably. We're going to give you 10 minutes, share who you are, where you come from, any area of your life that needs to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to the extent that you feel comfortable and then we pray for each other. We'll take 10 minutes to do that. But before we do that, I mean, we're going to also, after the service, encourage people to come, take communion, while others you go and find out more about areas where you can serve. I want to just leave you with a story. I was listening to Dr. Michael Cassidy preaching at Every Nation Durban. Some of you know Michael Cassidy. He was one of the few people that worked very closely to see the democracy that we're experiencing today, the freedoms we have today. He's 87 years old and still preaching the gospel. And I thought I'll, I'll tell a record. He wasn't sitting on the chair. He was standing at 87 years old <laughs> preaching. It was one service though. Dr. Michael Cassidy said this. He was preaching in Costa Rica many years ago and he went to this very poor neighborhood and he asked the person that was hosting him, I thought this was a poor neighborhood. Why are there so many aerials, antennas in the houses here for the millennials uh, like satellite dish? I know satellite dishes are going away now. We have Wi-Fi, cable TV for the Americans. Said, Why do they have all these areas? I thought it's a poor neighborhood. The host said to Michael Cassidy something that was so amazing. He explained to Dr. Michael Cassidy that, you know what the people there do? They go to the shops, they buy the aerial and put it on top of their houses, but they don't have TVs. They don't have a television. They want their neighbors and other people to think that they've got the TV, but they don't have. And that has helped me to understand 79% of Christians in South Africa so many of us, we've got the aerial. We come to church on Sunday. We know how to sing Kumbaya. We know how to speak in tongues. But there's no heart for Jesus. There's no fire for Jesus. There's no television for Jesus in your heart. Jesus is not in your heart. He said himself, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Let us not be like that. We call ourselves Christians, but the heart is far from God. Let's go into our groups.
thank you, Father, for your covering over us in this place. That as we have been sharing and praying for one another, that it is within a a space of covering that you remove all the shame that we are not trying to perform but that we are doing warfare to bring our flesh under your lordship to bring our spirit under your lordship thank you for your word that ministers to us we invite your word to penetrate into our souls not just to kind of hit us and and bounce off but to seep in we invite your word to change us to correct us to encourage us we invite your word to make us more like you We invite your word to to help us to repent and to change our ways and to walk differently. We invite your word to help us to have different values, the kind of values that you have, not the kind of values that we used to have. That as we worship you, as we sit under your word, that we are not those people who are just the same as everybody else. But it is clear that we have been transformed by you. And people know because they can see and taste the fruits of our transformation. Do this work in our lives, Lord. We invite you to do this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.